Now, I don't have a long time for the sermon today, keep the amens and shouting down to a, a minimum, because it is Senior Sunday, and there's a, bit, a thing at the end that we need to do for them, or we get to do for them. So, let's talk about, before they leave, we need to talk about what our roots are. We've been looking at the names of Jesus, and today we're actually going to take a look at several, but they're all put in together, vine, root, and branch. In the front of our building is a plaque uh, describing the establishing of this congregation by Talbert Fanning and Alexander Campbell in 1833. It tells the roots of who we are. Before we moved here, Cammie and I, we wanted to get to know the area a bit more, and we found a book uh, that um, had every historical marker in Williamson County to give us a history. Let us see what it was like here, what brought you to this point. We like to know where we're from. In fact, you can walk the aisles of Target now and find a 23andMe packet that you can send off for the, uh, it's, it's only $200. You've got that laying about the house in the couch, probably. And you go and you send that off and it'll tell you, well, you know, where you're from. Or Ancestry.com commercials are all over the place saying, this is where you're from. There are, there are TV uh, programs like Who Do You Think You Are? that people will tell you their history and then they do the DNA and they do the genealogy check and say this is who you really are. And that's fascinating. In fact, one of my favorite programs is a very little known program on the TLC channel. I came across by, almost by accident. It's called Long Lost Family, where two people who themselves were adopted and found their families later help Either people find the children they gave up uh, many years ago or find the parents, or they don't. And it's all very human and it's all very wonderful. That drive, where did we come from? Who are we really? We have a drive. We have a need to know who we are, where we are. In fact, very often, um, we don't get this that much anymore, uh, Kids were very happy about this. But back when your grandparents were kids, they often would go wandering about in search of themselves, like they didn't have a mirror. They, they, they were, you know, who am I? Where am I from? And they would do all kinds of, of odd things trying to find who they were. In many sense, that's a universal journey. I grew up never having a hometown. My, fa my father moved about every year or so. That disoriented my family somewhat. So I had to choose what home was, and I decided, right, Scotland is the one that fits me best, it's where I've been the most, that's where I'm, that's where I'm from, and my genealogy and DNA backs that up, so that's, that's a good thing. But I've met other people, when we lived in West Virginia, we found people that had never been 40 miles from their home. They were elderly, and I would say, don't you want to see anything else? They go, no, we're fine. You find that lot in Texas, not to be slanderous or anything, but you'll... you'll I'll ask Texans, would you like to go here or there? No, no, why? It's not in Texas. Okay. They know where they're from. This is who they are. But that brings us to John 15, but not quite yet. We've heard the passage before that we're about to read. Jesus is the true vine, and we are the branches. But there's a lot more to it if you follow the narrative that brings you to John 15. You see, Jesus has been preparing the apostles for life without his immediate presence, his physical presence. In John 13, 26, he takes a cup and he goes, now this is my blood and I'm sharing it with you. 
It is the fruit of the vine. Now, that's a very important phrase, fruit of the vine. In the next chapter, in John 14, verse 31, and also if you go a bit further, in John 18, 1, we see that this dinner was taken near a garden full of vines. Gethsemane was a garden full of olive trees and vines. And Jesus all week had been preaching in a particular place outside of the temple that had a huge engraving above the gate of a vine. He was bringing it all together, weaving together the story, saying, this is who we are. We are all of one people. You are my people. I am the vine. Now, we can, we can take a look at a rather long passage, John 15, 1 through 17. I am the true vine. My father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that's thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish. It will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. Now you know why he keeps saying, stay with the branch, stay with the branch, stay with the vine. He's going to emphasize what that means. Remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you, may be full and complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. If you're my friends, you are my friends rather, if you do what I command. And I no longer call you servants, because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends, for everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you, so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my, in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. Jesus has many names in Scripture that we won't get to in this series. In fact, this series will end in a couple of weeks. But more of them need to be mentioned here as we think about vine and branch. He is also called the root in Revelation chapter 5 and 22. He is, this, a root here means something different than it does to us. It really means the shoot that comes out of a tree that's been cut down. You've thought the tree's over. You've thought the tree's dead. But something is alive and it shoots up and grows again. For his people are the survivors. They overcome the world by using the tools and the weapons he gave them. Truth and love. And if you cannot say it in love, it is not the truth. Truth and love work together. He is also the branch. 
many times named the branch in Scripture. He is God reaching out for us. Think about that. You've got the, the vine or the trunk of the tree, but then the branch comes for you. It reaches out. It is God coming to us. Jesus is how God reaches human beings. Jesus is our DNA. Whenever, for the last about five years, I've been involved with the British Ancestry Project, which they're, they're trying to find where the different tribes of Breton arrived, when they arrived, what the makeup is. And it's a very fascinating thing. You can look it up uh, online. Then I've also done the Ancestry.com and a few other things. And, and it's always interesting to come and see how far back it goes. Most of my DNA doesn't say Scotland. It says Scandinavia. You may notice that I'm, I don't appear to be a Viking. <laughs> the reason it says Scandinavia is because my people, I hate to use the term, we, we call them my clan, but that means something different in Tennessee. Um, <laughs> in Gaelic, the word clan means children. Uh, so my, my people... Uh, our, our, my particular family group came from Norway in the 800s. And yet that DNA is still strong enough to peg the meter on ancestry charts. My point is this. I wish we had a spiritual DNA version of 23andMe. Wouldn't you like to have that? So you could take it every now and then and see how much of you is Jesus and how much of you isn't. How much more do we need to go Jesus keeps saying, I'm your vine, I'm your branch, I'm your root, I'm how you survive, I'm your DNA. Jesus is my hometown. You've heard me say many times, this is my family. You, I have far more in common with you than I do with the people that share my blood. Far more. You are my family. We are DNA because, as we will do here shortly, we take the same cup. We eat the same bread. We follow the same Jesus. He is our creator. He is our source. He is, in the words of the old hymn, O worship the king, our maker, defender, redeemer, and friend. Churches, it always amazes me and saddens me somewhat when people say, well, I love Jesus. I just don't like the church. Really? The church is his bride. Don't diss Jesus' bride. That seems to be an unsafe thing to do. And what is a church anyway? And they'll say it's an organization. No, it isn't. It's a gathering of people who belong to Jesus. It's a gathering of believers. How can you not love believers? Jesus says they're his bride. He takes them in love and he promises them he will be with them for as long as he lives. And that, my friends, is a very long time indeed. And yet churches can often make the mistake of looking outside their marriage to find ways to make the marriage better. They can adopt business models. They can adopt new ideas. This will make us grow. This will make us prosper. When I go about and speak at other churches, one of the things I've heard for 30 years is, how do you guys grow? What programs do you have? And I'm always somewhat at a loss because I'll say, well, we love people till they ask us why. And we love people till they follow us home. And that does, that's not good for them. We need written material, five steps, that so we can go out and, and do this, and the people will then, ah, 
You're going to have to love people wherever they are. I've even had people call me before wanting to sell me evangelistic programs. And whenever I've said, no thanks, it's like, well, then you don't love Jesus. I do. I just don't like all of his kids, and I might be talking to one of those, but I'm not saying. I just, it's possible. It's possible. I've seen dozens of new ways capitalize that, new ways of evangelism, of organization, of business models, of outreach programs, and all of them have their day, and then they fade. All of them start really big, and then they fade because they get the low-hanging fruit, and then they're done. They don't work anymore. We need to remember we're married to Jesus, and our weapons are truth and love. And we've got to remember the love. John emphasizes a word far more than any of the other Gospels do, and a word that he only applies to Jesus. When we're casting about for help, for comfort, for security in our future, as you will be, as you grow up, you might, this, is, this may surprise you. I don't mean to depress you. When I look over this, visitors, our teens tend to gather in this region. Uh, some of them are sitting with family today, but I'm still going to act like they're all over here. This may surprise you, may depress you a bit. When you're 60 and 70, you're still worried about your future and who you are and what you do. You know, it's, a, it's a lifelong thing. As long as you understand that and accept it, it's not a bad thing. And as long as you realize right now who we are is Jesus. We're his people. He is our blood. He is our DNA. He is the true source. Take a look at this emphasis in Scripture. He is, and all of this is from John, or John the Revelator, the writer of Revelation. The true light, the true bread. And because you're going to go after false lights all the time, thinking, oh, that's, no, that's not the right way to go. He's the true light. He's the true bread. He will really sustain you. The world will often say, do this, it'll make you better. And it makes you worse. He makes you better. He's a true witness. He won't lead you wrong. He's the true God. The world's got plenty of gods on offer, but he's the true one. He is the true vine. He is the source. Jews had a, a rich history of talking about the vine. The vine was a very common metaphor in their language, and we, we tend to miss that since our culture and history are not the same as theirs. God often speaks, especially in Isaiah and Jeremiah, about, I planted you, you are my vine, but you went wild. And you're not bearing any fruit. Or the fruit that you are bearing is sour grapes. And yes, that is where we get the expression. Sour grapes or no fruit at all. You're supposed to be my vine, but you went wild and became your own vine. In fact, throughout Scripture, God and Jesus are both described often as husbandmen. Now, that's a word you don't use every day, right? It's more of a church word. It really came out of the King James tradition and, and the Middle English. It means someone who cares for the, veal, the, the vines or the field. They were the husband of the vines because they cherished it, nourished it, helped it grow. Guys, just as an aside, we're going to do a men's class here in June. And one of the things we're going to look at is in Scripture when the Bible says, Man is the head of the woman. It does not mean boss. The husband 
is the caregiver, the nurturer, the protector, the sustainer. He, the husband of the vine was the husbandman. And God and Jesus are both described that way many times. And saying, all we want from you is the fruit. Well, what fruit? Well, in, I mean, how many times did he have to say it in John 15? Love. Love, love, love. That's what I need from you, is love. And I want to warn you, Christians often act reprehensibly toward others and claim they're doing it in love. I need to point out all your faults, but I'm doing it because I love you. No, you're not. You're doing it out of arrogance and out of a need to dominate. We don't point out faults because the scripture says love covers a multitude of sins. Instead, we love people closer to Jesus. The more we love them, the less interested they are in whatever those faults are. And the more interested they are in Jesus. So we love them in. Remember the fruit. Look at John 15. Only those who remain in him can produce the fruit he wants. Remain in love. Live in love. Be defined by love. Keep the commands of God. Now here's where a lot of Christians think, oh, we got you now. Because the commands are, are 5,000 different. No. He tells you what it is. Love one another as he has loved you. Listen to him. Let him define his own words. Lay down this life in the service of others as an act of love. Do this and you'll be a friend of Jesus, not a servant. Wow. And then he wraps it up with, in case you missed everything, love each other. That's our job. That's our job. Parents, don't let the world do this. The world will often try to divide you from teens or from your kids. I call these people the just weights. You're married. Well, they start then. Oh, we're getting married. Oh, you just wait. Once you're married, oh, your life changes. Well, let's, let's hope so because it's, it's irredeemably miserable right now. I'm hoping for an improvement. Then you get married, and perhaps, if God allows, you have a child. And as you're pregnant, they'll walk around and say, you just wait. When that baby's born, <laughs> sleep's over. Um, kids are gone. Sex is over. Uh, everything is over. Everything's over. Your money's over. Your life is gone. Do you know what you're having? You know, this is so sick. So you have your baby. And they'll say, oh, you just wait till that thing turns two. Terrible twos, oh my goodness. You're going you're to hate it then. Really? What a blessing you are. <laughs> then the kid starts to go to school. Oh, you just wait till they go to school. Now you're regimented. You're regimented. You don't have control over your own life anymore. Just wait till they turn to a teen. Oh, they're awful. They're awful when they're teens. Doesn't stop. People are telling the teens, oh, you don't like your parents. Don't like your parents. Parents are awful. Parents are bad. Now, parents are strange. I'll give you that. Because in their view, you've got money, freedom, and a, a, a very small number of rules compared to them. What are you doing with it? You're sitting in the Lazy Boy, watching a rerun, going, you know, 
Next year, I think I might put in a row of beans. <laughs> and they're terrified. My life is, is over. I had better live my life now before whatever that is happens. <laughs> what would it be like if instead we decided to love our babies and love our teens and love our parents and love our grandparents and know they're not us, but they're not supposed to be us. Where two people agree about everything, one of them's unnecessary. We're supposed to be different. But if we love each other, despite the differences, the world will notice that. If you plant corn, you'll get corn. If you plant what you claim is love, but you get apathy, division, and criticism, you didn't plant love. How do you know you're planting love? By what you harvest. Look at Galatians 5, 23. Here's what you're supposed to get. Check your garden. If you're not getting this, you're planting the wrong thing. Love, joy, peace, forbearance. That would indicate, by the way, we're not all agreeing. Kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. That's what we're going for. That's what Fourth Avenue is all about, is it not? That's what we want here. That's what we plant. We plant Jesus and love. That's it. But there's something about a garden. I learned this early because my parents were gardening enthusiasts. Problem is, we kept moving, so we planted but almost never harvested. And then we'd plant, and my father would get distracted. And then he'd remember about three weeks later, oh, we got to go tend the garden. We couldn't find it. If you aren't constantly tending a garden, there will be weeds. And the weeds will choke it. I, I don't mean to set ourselves up in any particular way here, but people are so kind to mention the way that my wife and I love each other and are not shy about that. People, that's because we tend that garden. It's got to be tended. If you don't, Weeds come. And that's the same about faith, about love, about... And how many times do you miss church before you don't miss church anymore? You know what I mean? You've got to continually tend the garden and check what fruit are there. Till it, water it, care for it, because what grows in your heart and life indicates what you planted. And that indicates where you're from. We're about to partake in our Lord's Supper. And I won't make prior comments about it because we have a couple that are going to do that instead of me. But as we take the, the bread, as we take the cup, remember, he is the vine. He is the root. He is the branch. We are his people.